welcome to the Lose Weight, Live Life podcast. If you're someone who would do anything to lose weight, yet finds it impossible to stick to a diet, to eat less, or just what you think you should, this podcast is for you. I am your host, certified life and weight mindset coach, Claire McKenzie. Listen in to learn how to stop overeating, lose weight for the last time, and create a relationship with food and yourself that you love, all without diet deprivation and self-sabotage. Hi, everyone, and a very warm welcome to podcast episode number 142, Treats in the House. Conversations around food in the house that hinders weight loss have come up a few times this week on my private coaching calls and with Academy members. And whilst none of these conversations were anything to do with having sweets or chocolate in the house for Halloween trick and treating, I thought it was a good time to talk about this topic on the podcast given that it is Halloween next week, and also with the fact that not only is Christmas on the horizon, but all the Christmas foods are already available, and sometimes with compelling offers, encouraging us to buy them now as well. So what I'm going to be talking to you about today is I'm going to be considering six questions that are questions that often come up, and I'm going to be considering those questions, answering them for you, giving them some examples. And so those questions are, should you have foods that you over-desire in the house or not? What should you do when others in your family want to have foods that you over-desire in the house, but you would rather not have them in the house? What should you do when you have a habit of eating foods so that they don't go to waste? What should you do when you're gifted foods that you don't want to eat? What should you do when you buy foods for others that you often end up eating? And what should you do when you want to buy seasonal foods that hinder your weight loss? Okay, so let's start with the first question I often get asked, and that is, should you have foods that you over-desire in the house or not? And this question we're actually going to spend quite a lot of time on, on this podcast episode, and then we're going to sort of answer the others with a summary, more, more sort of specific information, I guess. So this question about whether or not we should have foods in our house that we have over-desire or not, the context of this question is that when we're taking a non-diet approach to creating the relationship with food that we want, we don't want to deny or restrict foods that we enjoy purely for the pleasure of eating them because we don't want this diet mentality. So therefore, we should have them available so that we're not restricting and denying ourselves. Now, this is a line of thought that people often come to me with, and it's one perception of this topic. But before I give you my perspective on that very logical way of thinking, it's really understandable. Let's just back up a minute and address the initial question, which is about foods that you over desire. You see, when people talk about this thing that I can tell is often causing them some confusion, internal debate or conflict and uncertainty, the foods in question are those that they over desire and usually therefore overeat or struggle not to eat. We don't think to ourselves, oh, I should limit the amount of chicken or eggs or vegetables that I have in my house so that I don't overeat them. Overdesire for foods exists primarily because we've unknowingly taught ourselves to think that the foods that we overdesire are incredibly important and or tasty. They are foods that cause us to experience a large amount of the neurotransmitter dopamine to be released compared to other foods so that we get more pleasure both in the anticipation of eating those foods and in the eating of them. And because we get more dopamine, our primal brain has learned to apply a disproportionate amount of significance to these foods and thinks they're incredibly important. It feels like we have to eat them. We feel compelled. Now, if you relate to this, none of this is happening because you are weak-willed, 
It's happening at the primal brain level. From thinking about how your pet responds to certain foods, so think about your pet if you've got them, they smell or those foods and then they over-desire them. There's certain foods that like our dogs go crazy for and I know it's the same with cats as well. And then if we look at research about experiments on mice who are given sugar, the mice aren't consciously connecting the food to thoughts they're thinking because mice don't have conscious thoughts, but they will overeat sugary water. It's just that us humans put thought layers on top of our physiological response to certain foods that makes them even more desirable because we're consciously aware. We're then having conscious thoughts about having those foods, even when they're not available to us. We train ourselves to like these foods because we have conscious thoughts about them tasting delicious or have conscious thoughts that they are comforting or will make us feel better in some way. Okay, so having talked through all of that and considered why we over-desire certain foods, let's explore the perspective that we should have foods we over-desire and overeat in the house so that we have a normal, I say that in inverted commas, relationship with food and don't live in diet mentality. Now, there is no right or wrong here, but there are some other perspectives I want you to consider before you decide what is right for you. And also know, we'll talk about this in a minute, that what is right for you might now, right now may not be different to what is right for you in the future. So the foods in question are often highly refined and processed foods created by the food manufacturers because they know the exact mix of ingredients, specifically refined fat, sugar and salt, to create an over-desire response in your brain and mind And these foods have only been available in the lifespan of humans for a tiny, tiny amount of time. And so if you think about this, are they really that normal? Now, I had to Google how long humans have been around for. And the answer was somewhere between 300,000 and 100,000 years, depending on what we consider to be modern humans and the humans that we know today. So if we go then with 100,000 years, and then let's consider that whilst processed foods have been around for quite a long time, the ultra-processed, chemical-laden food that we know today has only been around really for, let's say, 50 years. So then that means that it's only in the last 0.05% or one two thousandth of our existence that these foods have been around for. And so it's only in that tiny, tiny proportion of human time that they have been, in inverted commas, normal. What I want you to consider is that these foods are not normal for human consumption, that they are manipulated and processed so that they can be manufactured cheaply, transported easily, and so that we over-desire them, so that we buy more of them and the food manufacturers increase their profits. They are far from normal. And so maybe thinking that we should be able to have them in the house so that we have a normal relationship with food isn't actually a factual reason because really these foods are not food. Okay. Now often... That thinking comes from a really well-intended place of wanting to undo diet deprivation, trauma and having diet mentality. Again, really understandable. When you've been used to telling yourself that you cannot have and you're not allowed to eat certain foods, we want to get away from doing that. But there's a difference between telling yourself what you can't have and what you're not allowed and consciously choosing what you want to eat to be kind and loving towards you and take care of your body. Okay, and I agree that it is something that you're going to want to challenge and work to change. If you have those beliefs, and if you're constantly judging yourself about the food choices that you have, or feel regret when you eat foods that you label bad, not regret from overeating them, but regret because you intrinsically feel you are wrong for having them, you don't want to be in that place. And it may very well be that a part of your healing journey is to get comfortable 
being around these foods so that you're not afraid of them and not making your desire of them wrong and having these foods in the house may help you to do that. So we have here two very different things to consider. One is your thoughts and beliefs around those foods and the other is your thoughts and beliefs around who you are when you eat those foods and what you make the eating of those foods mean about you. So this is what I want for me in my relationship with these foods. I don't want to see these foods as treats or highly desirable without giving recognition to the ingredients that they contain and also seeing the negative impact that those ingredients have on my body, mind, brain and emotions. I want to see both sides of the equation on this. So I don't think that these foods are amazing and delicious in isolation. And at the same time, I never want to judge myself or shame myself for eating these foods ever. Me eating foods that I consider not healthy and not good for my body does not equate to me doing anything wrong or being failure or being bad in any way. We are not robots. We do not always choose the best things to do for our health. If we did, we might all choose to be manual labourers who are you know, being active all day instead of having office-based jobs. Okay, It's just not realistic. It's not the world that we live in. But it's also really important to find the right balance that is right for us and to question our reasons and make sure we like the reasons for the choices that we make. So back to the question as to whether we should or should not have these foods that we over-desire in our homes. I want you to think about what feels kind to you. What will make your weight loss journey easier and more enjoyable today? There is no right or wrong, and I have seen the approaches of not having desired foods in the house work for some clients and some members of the academy, and also having them in the house work for others. Because it's not whether or not you have them that matters. What matters is your thoughts and beliefs and reasons for your decisions as to whether to have them or not. Also know that there will likely be phases of your weight loss journey where you will want to have them in the house and phases where you won't. Generally, I suggest this. When you're getting started, especially if you suspect your hunger hormones are not balanced and when you're learning new tools and strategies and ways of thinking about food, I suggest you don't have them in the house so that you can contain all the things that you want to pay attention for or put constraint around all the things that you want to pay attention to. Then as your weight loss progresses and you eating the way you want to eat becomes easier, you might want to consider having certain foods in the house so that you can get comfortable eating them without overeating them and or feeling desire for them and working at reducing that desire by allowing yourself to feel the desire and not respond by eating in eating to it, not have an eating response to it. And we, of course, we teach you how to do all of this in the Lose Weight Live Life Academy. All right, so then let's move on to the second question. What should you do when others in your family wanted to have foods that you over-desire in the house and you would rather not have them in the house? Well, you can start with asking them to consider not having them in the house or not having them in the house for a period of time whilst you work on some other strategies for not overeating and emotionally eating with a plan to have them in the house when you're ready so that you can then, again, deprogram your desire for them when you've got more capacity to do that work. So at the right port of call, so to speak, on your weight loss journey. And at the same time of asking, recognise that they, of course, get to choose. And so be prepared to accept their response with love if they say they don't want to not have these foods in the house, if they say they want to have these foods in the house. It's really important to respect their choice because at the end of the day, your relationship with food is your work to be done and you're going to want to take 100% responsibility 
for empowering yourself to make the changes you want. And that means you want to do so without requiring anyone else to do things to help and support you. Don't get me wrong. It may be nice and it will be nice if they do. And it's great if they do. It's not necessary for you to get the weight loss results that you want, the health results that you want and create the relationship with food that you want. You can do it with or without the support of those around you. What I do with my husband, who likes to have biscuits in the house, is to ask him to keep them in a cupboard that I don't use very often. I know they're there, but I'm not constantly presenting them as an option for my brain to consider every time I go in the cupboard to get my coffee, for example. It's really rare that I even think about those biscuits and whether or not I want them, and that just makes things so much easier. Now, if you've got younger children who you're providing for, you get to choose what foods you have in the house. And I think the question around what desirable refined foods you have in the house for them is about more than what will support you losing weight. Once you become aware of how unnecessary so many of the snack foods that we eat are, you might want to question your assumptions about normal, in inverted commas, snacks for children and think about how you want to support your kids having what you consider to be a healthy relationship with food. Because my thoughts are that it's not about making chocolate, biscuit and crisps snacks a normal part of every day. And it's not about ever leading your kids to believe that they are not allowed these foods either or that these foods are bad. I think the approach here is to get scientific and talk to them about the ingredients of those foods and why it might be beneficial to have whole food snacks instead of refined food snacks, for example. We've not had bread in our house in the form where we used to have it, which was always having wholemeal sliced and then having more, you know, whole artisan type loaves at the weekend for about five or six years. When we stopped having what I might call normal bread in the house, my son, who was living at home at the time, and my husband both had bagels with their breakfast. That's what they chose to have. That was their preference. I'm not even sure why, but that's what they chose. And then in the past 12 or 18 months or so, my husband, who is a type 1 diabetic and conditioned from childhood to believe that he must have starchy carbs with every meal, has stopped eating those carbs. And he stopped having the he stopped having those bagels and he's adjusted his medication accordingly. And he will tell you he feels healthier now than he ever has. And interestingly, my son back from university over the summer just gone said that he no longer has bagels when I got them in for him and hasn't replaced them with anything. So he's not having those sort of bready type carbs either. And my daughter, when she has bread, has that German style rye bread that everyone tells her tastes like cardboard, but it's totally her choice and her decision. And she has her smashed avocado on it and she loves it. Now I share this as an example of the ripple effect of the changes you may choose to make to your food choices and how you eat. And to let you know that whilst your family may not be on board, my kids thought I was a bit crazy for wanting to avoid bread for the first couple of years. You never know how those changes may impact them in the years to come. So the takeaway here is to ask for what will help and support you from others within your home and be 100% okay with whether your family members are on board with doing a few things to help and support you or they're not. Because what's most important is that you create self-trust and support for yourself. Also, I like to remind myself when my husband buys me chocolate treats that I'm responsible for him doing that for me. What I mean is that after 20 years of being delighted if he bought me some chocolate when he might have got some beers and nuts for himself of a Friday or Saturday night, it would be unreasonable to then be out of the blue, tell him how unsupportive and lacking in understanding he is should he turn up with them when I'm working at not eating chocolate, even though I might internally have thought he should have known that. If you relate to this, you must communicate with your partner and other family members. 
if they like to buy you small tokens of food to be kind to you, what you can do is ask them to get you flowers or a magazine or something similar instead and be really appreciative so that they enjoy doing that for you. And yes, I have totally been that crazy woman who has one week been you know, saying to my husband, how dare you buy me chocolate when you know I'm working at losing weight? And then the following week, totally sulk because he didn't get me any. So tell your family members, your partners what you want. And remember, you always get to choose what you ask for and what you eat. So even if they buy you things, you don't have to eat it. Okay, so on to number three, what should you do when you have a habit of eating foods so that they don't go to waste? I've spoken about this before on the podcast and so many of us were raised to believe it is wrong to waste food. However, putting food in the bin is no less wasteful than eating food your body doesn't need. This belief that putting food in the bin is wasteful but that eating it when you're not physically hungry isn't is very flawed. Please try to make peace with putting food in the bin and allowing yourself to do so without feeling guilty. Also know that eating food you don't need is not an effective way to not waste food. These ways are more effective. So you might reduce the amount of food you buy and prepare. You can get savvy with freezing leftovers and you can portion out excess food made and prepared so that you have it for your next meal, even if that next meal is breakfast. Constantly review what's left over or in your fridge and freezer and plan for when and how you will be eating it so that you're eating it when you're hungry and you're not eating other food and then seeing that as left as something to be eaten. Okay, instead of eating to avoid putting food in the bin, work at your food organisational skills to reduce waste if this is something that's important to you. And don't forget to use your local food bank for non-perishable foods that you don't have a plan for eating or you don't want. All right, on to number four. What should you do when you are gifted foods you don't want to eat? So this one, of course, comes up a lot over the Christmas period. First of all, I recommend that if close family members traditionally buy you foods that you don't want, a tin of Quality Street, for example, that you consider asking them to not buy them for you. But before you do that, you might want to actually really think through whether you want to eat them or not. So decide ahead of time, decide now really, whether you want to have them and enjoy them this year or not. If you think that you do, plan for how you want to eat them. Do you want to eat them in one night or over three nights? Or do you want to have one or two chocolates a night until they're all gone? Remember, there is no right or wrong here. Just you getting to know yourself and your body really well so that you know what the net result will be and whether that result is something that you want or not. If you decide you don't want them, then it's okay, as I said, to ask your close family member to not get them for you this year. You might want to ask them to get you something else instead. You might want to give them an alternative because people generally give things for the pleasure they get from giving them. And I think it's nice to not deny them that pleasure. Or if you sense that they are buying you these things out of obligation or habit, and there's not really much pleasure in the giving of them, then just give them the option to just save the money and there's no need to ask for an alternative. What's important here is that you communicate and ask for what you do or don't want in plenty of time. Now, of course, we're also going to be gifted foods or likely to be gifted foods unexpectedly. What I suggest you do with these foods is take the time to consider them. You might want to do this if you've got a daily journaling practice the day after you get them and think what you want to do. Regifting and food banks are also great options if you decide you would prefer not to eat them. A couple of years ago, we had a post-Christmas party where not only 
were we planning to use all our cheese that we have got for a cheese ball for Christmas Day and we didn't even get that far, we didn't even start it. We got it all out, displayed it all nicely and then had to wrap it all up again. I often do that because everyone's just too full. But not only did we have an entire cheese board, but three other families also bought all of their non-eaten Christmas cheese boards too. And the amount of cheese we had left over was ridiculous. Now, if that happened again, what I would like to think I would do is make a plan for the cheese. So maybe plan some dishes or, you know, cook some things that actually have cheese in them and use up as much as possible as a part of normal eating rather than excessive cheese eating, which is what I often tend to do. But, you know, think about how we could incorporate that into our normal meals and enjoy it. And then I guess if there's still left over, then throw that away. I know I didn't do that last time. I know we ate over ate some cheese by having it as like, you know, evening snacks and things like that. And then we ended up throwing some away. Number five, what should you do when you buy food for others that you often end up eating? So you might not do this. This might just be something that I did. So many of you won't do this, but it's something that I had to work at. It was like an obstacle for me to overcome as a part of my weight loss journey. And it showed up for me in two ways. The first is that I would buy chocolate gifts for people at Easter and Christmas and eat them before Easter and Christmas arrived and then have to buy them more. Okay. And the second is that I would make elaborate desserts when we entertained and then end up eating all of the leftovers. So the first one then, those sort of like chocolate gifts that I buy for other people and then eat before I get a chance to give them to them. Okay. So chocolate is still the food that I most over desire. And I struggle to not overeat when I have it in the house. And I kind of know this and accept this. And I don't do much to reduce my chocolate desire because I still see that as my go-to treat food, even though I know it's not a treat food, but that's still what I choose to do purely for the pleasure of eating it. Now, if I bought chocolate for Christmas or Easter now, I would be fine not eating it as long as I didn't have one of those weeks where, you know, everything goes to pot. On those weeks, my chocolate desire would be strong and I may end up eating it or I would end up, you know, really working hard not to eat it. So what I've done sometimes is bought the chocolate and then I've asked my mum to have them until the appropriate time arrives for gifting it. Now, some of you listening will probably think this sounds crazy, but it's just something that helped me not have to deal with chocolate desire at a very busy time of year. It just felt me being kind to myself and giving myself a break so that I didn't have to do the work of managing my mind and my brain around having all this chocolate in the house. And the second habit of making elaborate chocolate desserts, well, I have a much greater around, greater awareness around this one now. So I do check before entertaining and think about what would be an enjoyable dessert that maybe isn't quite so heavy and full of those refined indulgent foods. And I would far more likely to lean towards making something lighter instead. Your cheesecake used to be my go-to. It was quick, easy, indulgent, but I would be left with half a cheesecake and would find it difficult to not sort of eat that. I also recognise that on in my house, no one else is ever going to eat leftover dessert except me. No one else really has a sweet tooth in that way. And so if I don't want to eat it, it has to go in the bin. And so now it does. I know that now. And so it's more likely to go straight in the bin if there's leftovers. And the other thing that I do now is if I'm not making dessert, if I'm buying dessert, so sometimes I get food from cook when we entertain. What I do now is I will often buy the individual dessert portions. So there's just no leftovers. There's no waste. There's no leftovers. There's no issue there. And um, and that's really great having that sort of portion size managed. So Finally then, when you want to buy seasonal foods that hinder your weight loss, first have a plan for eating them. Let's assume we're talking about Christmas. So if you want to buy Christmas foods and you recognise they hinder your weight loss, what I want you to do is to sort of like zone out and think about the whole 
sort of Christmas period. Make a list of all of the Christmas foods you want to eat and make a plan for eating them alongside your other seasonal meals and events. Look at the wider landscape and get honest with what the impact on the scales and your health and how you feel will be. And then take a final decision on whether you want them or not. There is no right or wrong, just you choosing to eat in a way that will give you the health and weight results you want. And I'll probably go into this in more detail in a later episode closer to Christmas. But I just wanted you to remind you to sort of be reminded or to focus on or have the opportunity to focus on what's important around the different seasons for you and to consider how you can create what you want in non-food ways. Think about the relevance that you want food to have at Christmas time or other times of celebration and think about non-food ways to support you creating what you want, which is, of course, ultimately all about how you want to feel. Okay, some things for you to consider there. I addressed these questions with some suggestions and examples of what's worked for me. But the best thing that you can do is decide what you want for you. Start afresh with a blank piece of paper and question all of your conditioned beliefs about what is right and wrong. And then create your own answers for these questions along the lines of what you think will work for you. A bit like a hypothesis and then test that hypothesis to see what you learn and discover and then update your answer if necessary. Okay, all right. So thank you so much for listening. Also, just to say, if you want to get on the Lose Weight Live Life Academy waitlist so that you're notified when we next open for enrolment, or if you would like to join today, which you can do as a VIP member, go to www.thebestyou.coach forward slash enroll. So just so you know, VIP members get annual Lose Weight Live Life Academy membership and six private coaching calls with me. All of the details are at www.thebestyou.coach forward slash enroll. All right. Thanks for listening, everyone, and have a great week. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast and are ready to live a more intentional life, lose weight as a part of that journey and create a relationship with food and yourself that you love, then I would be honored to have you join the Lose Weight Live Life Academy membership and coach with me. The program offers different levels of support to suit you, including self-paced learning, twice weekly calls, private coaching, an amazingly caring community, and lots more. Find out all the details about when and how you can join at www.thebestyou.coach forward slash coaching.